Hello, everyone. So we're going to go back now to within letter 16 in the actual text on page 224. And he's continuing to discuss the question of emancipation as to what is it? What is it? Is it worth it? Is it not a good thing? Is it a good thing? What should our be our overall attitude towards the state in which we live? So at the bottom paragraph, it is precisely the purely spiritual nature of Israel's nationhood that makes it possible for Jews everywhere to tie themselves fully to the various states in which they live, with the distinction, perhaps, that while others may consider the material benefits provided by the state, possessions and enjoyment in their widest interpretation, to be the ultimate good, Israel always can regard these only as, as means to fulfillment of the human mission. Okay? Just visualize the sons of Israel dwelling in freedom and other nation, amid other nations, striving to attain their ideals. Picture every son of Israel, a respected influential model of righteousness and love, spreading not Judaism, this is forbidden, but pure humanitarianism. Okay, so that's an important point, right? We, we do not actively proselytize. What a mighty impetus to the education of mankind, what a source of light and strength this could have been in the benighted period of the Middle Ages if this kind of galut had not been precluded by Yisrael's sinfulness and the nation's insane fanaticism, right? In other words, the, the fanatics in the Middle Ages certainly would not have been willing to hear anything that we were able to teach them about what the proper mission of life is. Because at that point, there was a very, very strong mindset of how the Jews are evil and we killed, you know, Yashka and so on and so forth. And there would never have been able any sort of meaning of the minds to the extent that we can teach them the lessons that we're here to teach them. How impressive it would have been in the midst of a human race pursuing, and indeed often benightedly worshiping violence, wealth, and gratification of the senses, if there had quietly lived in open view, men who regarded possessions and enjoyment only as the means to practice justice and love towards all, men whose minds, imbued with the truth and wisdom of the Torah, maintained only sensible, truly human views, and who perpetuated these for themselves and others by expressing them in living symbolic actions, right? This is the ideal. In the Davyomi uh, earlier this week, there was a, a daf that taught like this, says that when a Jewish person who has spent his life learning Torah acts in a way that is kind, that is responsible, that is seeking justice, it makes a tremendous sanctification of God's name, a tremendous kiddush Hashem. Because people will look at him and say, look, look at a difference in someone's life when they spend their days learning Torah. Look at what a difference is. Look what kind of a person it creates, right? In terms of their priorities, in terms of their ideals. It then tells us the other side of the coin, which is if someone spends their time learning Torah and they do not act properly, look what kind of a chilul Hashem it is that people will say, look at this person. He learns Torah. And instead of making him a better person, it makes him a worse person. So it really, it sort of amplifies whatever sort of picture other people will have about you. Someone who spends their life, and I don't mean every minute of their life, I don't even mean every day, the whole day, but as someone who has spent a lot of time learning Torah, if it doesn't change who you are, that's not a good thing. And it could actually turn into a chilol Hashem, a, a, a desecration of Hashem's name. That being said, if the Jews were living up to our destiny and we were living a more elevated life and recognizable by all, that this is due to the fact that we have a Torah. That would have been a tremendous sanctification of God's name, and we would have gotten that much closer to bringing the Mashiach. It would appear, however, that a harsh and oppressive galut had to come first in order to train Israel to live under milder galut conditions. 
It's very interesting what he's going to suggest over here. So he's trying to discuss why it is that when we first leave the land of Israel, we no longer have our nation state, right? What happens is we then go into Galut, we go into exile, kicked from one country to another, persecuted by all, right? But this is also clearly a persecution. This is clearly something that we recognize as exile. Only after that has happened, then we can actually deal with the other type of galut, of exile. Exile, we are, we are not the oppressed people. We are not persecuted by all, right? The dangers in life of being, uh, you know, let's say too wealthy and the danger in life of being too poor, they're both not easy tests to deal with. But on some level, it's easier to deal with than being wealthy in terms of the test, okay? So the galut, the exile that we deal with when we are persecuted by others, it's very clearly, there's a clear recognition what is going on over here. But when it's actually open to us to do whatever it is that we want to do in a society, then it becomes more difficult for us to hold back from actually engaging with the people around us and becoming like the people around us. Only after galut is understood and accepted as it should be, when even in a time of suffering, God and the Torah are seen as the sole task in life, when material abundance is sought only as a means, and when God is served even in misery. Only then is Israel perhaps ready for the even greater test of a life of ease and good fortune while it is dispersed in galut. Here then is the answer to your question. Just as we are duty bound to acquire the practical resources that provide the basic conditions for our existence, so too it is surely everybody's duty to make use of any lawful opportunity to alleviate his lot and to increase his resources. The more means one commands, the greater the possibilities for fulfilling his mission to the largest extent. By the same token, it is certainly the duty of the community as a whole to seize any opportunity provided by the law to obtain the civil rights needed to improve its conditions of existence. Let me explain what he means by this. What he's trying to say is like this. You ask me about emancipation. Is this good in the aggregate or bad in the aggregate for the Jewish people? You always have to understand the lenses through which the Jewish people look at the world. Our purpose in this world, right, is to advance the mission that the God has given the Jewish people, to advance an understanding and recognition of God in this world and to be loyal and dedicated and faithful to the Torah. That's our purpose in life. Anything along the way is only a means to an end. So when you talk about having a lot of money, right? You talk about some material pursuits, that's only beneficial to the extent that it helps you carry out the will, that helps you carry out and follow the Torah properly. That's the only reason why one would have a desire to have more and more wealth, right? That's the only way that it would be a good thing, right? So too, when it comes to the perspective of is attaining civil rights good or bad? Well, the answer is very simple. If the reason why you want to attain civil rights is because you want to be able to do the things that the non-Jews are able to do because you want to be able to hang out in certain ways, that's not a good result. But if the reason why you want to do that is to be able to spread the Torah, to spread the wisdom, to spread the wealth, so to speak, then it certainly is a good thing to get. Now, I want to look at, at footnote number four on page, on page 237, right? So he's mentioning the idea that it's a greater test to deal with galut, to deal with exile in which we are accepted members of society and respected members of society than to deal with an exile in which we are the persecuted and the oppressed. In his comments on Vayikra, Leviticus 26, 42, 
Rabbi Shamshin Rafael Hirsch derives from that verse an outline of the process of redemption. If the Jew takes the galut, the exile, with its bitterness in its true meaning, and work themselves upwards towards the absolute opposite of their previous mistakes, then they will not have lived and bled in the midst of the nations for nothing. By the example of their lives, the spirits of the nations becomes enlightened, and they begin to prosper in the lands where hitherto they have been so sadly persecuted. Now they have to go through the second school of the Galut. They learn growing in prosperity not to assimilate. Then when they have successfully passed the second Galut test, remaining faithful to the Torah in prosperity, they will make the nations realize the abundance of all that is true and good. Then only then will I too bring them to the land promised to Abraham and give them back the land for a final permanent carrying out of their mission to be the people of God on the land of his Torah. These three stages of Jewish existence are represented by the lives of Yaakov, Yitzchak, and Avraham, respectively. The last stage is obviously the most critical one. If the test of Jewish loyalty, which it poses, is failed, suffering will inevitably recur. This is the point made by Meshachachma and poignantly spelled out for our age by Mechta Melio. In the period that preceded the Shoah, our oppression by the nations declined as a preparation for the coming of the Messiah. But since we pursued a different goal, the great catastrophe awaited us. In other words, when the purpose of the exile is, it is a harsh, bitter, servitude, oppression, persecuted lifestyle, right? If we are living up to the task, fine. And if we don't live up to the task, we will get punished. But the punishment won't be as severe, right? In other words, where there's a possibility for great gain, there's also a possibility for great loss. And once the second step of the Galut take, takes place, in which we will now be accepted by the other nations of the world, be able to have wealth, be able to have esteem in the eyes of the nations of the world, if we do not live up to our mission, we will be punished all the more severely. Why? Well, because if you have the opportunity to be the respected people, right, then it's possible for the nations of the world to learn from your behavior that there is a God. If you are the persecuted people, it's very difficult to bring this point to fruition. The persecuted people are not gonna be the people who everyone ends up learning from. That just, that's not how life works. But when you are the people in a position of power, so to speak, where you have the respect of the nations of the world, right? And as, as we know, the Jewish people certainly do, right? Certainly as, as individuals and even as a whole, I think most people will acknowledge that Jewish people have a certain, a certain success that they have achieved in life. Well, are we living up to that mission as the people who are respected? Right? Are we living up to that mission of teaching the world what the proper attitude is? Unfortunately, we know that we're not living up to that mission. And the Mechta Melio, Elio Dessler, who died in 1953 and was, um, he, he was a mashkiach, a spiritual leader and advisor in yeshiva in both England, in Gateshead, I believe. And then later on, he went to, I want to say B'nai Brak, but I'm not sure. Uh, so I mean, that's, there speaks out that when we had the opportunity before World War II and the period of the Enlightenment ending before World War II, we had the opportunity to teach the nations of the world the proper behavior. And this would have been the next step in bringing Mashiach, because that would have been the, what we should have been doing. And because that's not what happened, there was a terrible price that we had to pay. Okay? So I, I think, and without scaring anyone, but I think we could obviously say a similar idea today where with Jewish people and we are, we are tremendously well-respected, right? We're the startup nation, uh, both as in terms of individual Jewish people, in terms of uh, 
across the world, really, right? I think I think anybody who's not a a real hater, right? They recognize that there's something there's something unique. There's something that we have to offer. And the question is, is what we have to offer just the fact that we're the startup nation, right? That we we have a lot of good tech startups. Is that really what we're coming to teach the world that you can be very successful in business? Right? Obviously, we believe that there's something far more, far greater that we're here to teach the world. And when we don't do that, then we will be judged all the more harshly. When we had the opportunity, we had the responsibility to teach the world this message, and we do not step up to the plate. So I think it's up to all of us, right, to, to, to make our moves, right, you know, and to, and to teach the world what it means to live a, a certain lifestyle, a certain elevated lifestyle. I think that's, that's uh, the message for today, for sure. Okay, so we'll stop uh, here. Um, on Sunday night, I, I'm sorry, I meant to tell you earlier, but I have, um, we finished the Masechta and Dafyomi, so we're having a, a siyum, we're having a, a little party. Um, and we're not, it's going to be going at, at seven. So we will not be able to learn on Sunday night. Now, by the way, speaking of which, when we finish this book, we're also going to make a CM. And last time when we finished Mesilat um, Yisharim, it had to be um, on Zoom. But Bezrat Hashem, when we finish this book, when we finish 19 letters, it will be in person. So I can't say save the date because I don't know how much longer it will take. But I'm looking forward to, to getting together with all of you in person to celebrate that. Okay, take care, everyone. Take care. Good night and happy Shabbos.